went there and he told, and I don't remember this, but he says, I drew up our practice plan on a napkin. And he goes, we went to that practice in the afternoon. And he goes, it was the most unbelievable organized practice. And to me, I think that that goes to your culture. It's not your standards as well. It isn't just practice time, flip a switch. I mean, it is the understanding and it's a grind to get them to that point. But when you do, again, I, I think it's important to challenge them every day to, to, to keep them intrigued and make sure that they're aware of what they're battling. And I mean, it's, it's going to be a failure. The other one, too, is more just an approach of just consistency regardless of the circumstance. So it's like a scoreboard challenge, sometimes they refer to as like if somebody showed up in the fourth inning, like the body language of our players, of our dugout would not tip our hand of how the game is going. So just we want to be super consistent at all times. The score doesn't change it. The inning doesn't change it. Game one of a doubleheader, game two, we just want to be really consistent. Game strategy, if we're up big or down big, obviously strategy-wise, like we're not going to bunt or steal in some of those spots. But just our effort and the way how we're engaged, the challenge is to be really consistent with that stuff. You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Coming through your airwaves and broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina, welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We are still your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold, the place where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. Episode 119 and another dynamite episode on deck. Both of our guests absolutely show up and make this one another Take Feverish Note show. Those are my personal favorites. They're just layered with serious takeaways to help challenge all of us to be better, which trickles down to our players and our programs and ultimately helps the game. Find us wherever podcasts are free. Hit subscribe on there. Make time to leave us a review and a rating, plus share this podcast with anyone you feel like would appreciate these conversations. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Find us at ABCA1945. You can also head over to our website, abca.org. If you're looking for more information about what our baseball coaching fraternity here is all about. Also, please feel free to reach out to me directly on Twitter and Instagram at CoachSheets3 or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. So many terrific tweets, DMs, and emails over the past week or so. We always love hearing from you guys, but we want to make sure we take this opportunity, especially with most of the small college programs off and running already this season. Division One starts up this week. The rest of the college programs starting to play in the next few weeks. High schools in the warmer weather states, they're rolling. Other high school programs are kicking up their tryouts with games not too far behind. On behalf of all of us here in the national office, good luck, and we wish each of you the very best. Now, we know we have some competitive folks out there listening, but if we've learned anything through the podcast, it's all about the kids and our relationships with them. So keep it in perspective and best of luck. Sending a very appreciative shout out to our proud sponsor of this podcast, our great friends over at AstroTurf, the leaders in the clubhouse for the turf industry. And not only have they been one of our ABCA partners for years now, we truly enjoy working with Aaron and the entire AstroTurf crew. If you're looking to make some significant upgrades at your facility, make these folks your first call. The turf solution could be a dream come true for you. Make sure you're thinking about connecting with these folks. Head over to their website, AstroTurf.com. That's AstroTurf.com. Find out for yourself why AstroTurf has been ahead of the curve for over 50 years. 
Now, this will be the last time that I'm going to be able to offer this deal over the airwaves, but if you are still thinking that you would love to check out our Barnstormers Clinic videos from this past fall, I've got a sweet deal for you. This offer is going to end on this Friday, February 15th, but if you head over to their website between now and then, coachesinsider.com slash barnstormers, that's coachesinsider.com slash barnstormers, and use the discount code SHEETS50OFF. That's SHEETS, S-H-E-E-T-S, 5-0-O-F-F, and you'll get $50 off that already insanely low price of $99, and those 60 videos can be yours. On the field, we're in the classroom, and all are from some of the very best clinicians around the country, and they're waiting for you over at coachesinsider.com slash barnstormers, and we hope to see you jump on the Barnstormers Tour Bus today. And on to this week's show as we welcome in five national championships between our two guests. And more than that, two of the very best at practice organization, creativity, and also indoor practice, which we know will hit home with many of our listeners. We connect with Mark Reardon, head coach at Iowa Western Community College, and also Jad Prachniak, head coach at Westchester University. And both of these coaches bring some serious heat over the airwaves as we're focusing on practice plan how each have learned over the years and mainly through their experience in the postseason to see clearly what truly matters in the game that will show up on their specific practice plans we get outside the box with some very unique and creative ideas to maximize your time on the field with the players plus we dive headfirst into indoor training how to keep it fresh how to get creative especially with scheduling, plus always bringing a level of competitiveness to the practice plan. There's so much inside this conversation. It is truly one that I did not want to end, but I'm telling you, pen and paper are needed. You may need to bring your computer with you and definitely show up ready to get better as we welcome in Mark Reardon from Iowa Western and Jad Prashniak from Westchester. They are our guests on this week's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you, right? Now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We're going off the beaten path and getting into practice planning today. We're going to talk a lot of indoor practice planning. we got two guys that battle the weather, battle the elements, but still continue to put out fantastic programs and ones that are winning on the national level. We're going to bring in two of these cats one at a time. I'm first going to bring in the head coach at Iowa Western Community College, Mark Reardon. Mark, thanks for jumping on the call with us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm, I appreciate you having me on. We're excited to have you. Been wanting to get you on for a while, along with this guy as well. Just worked out perfect. The head coach at Westchester University, Jad Prachniak. Jad, thanks for jumping on with us. Thanks, Sheets. Thanks for having me. We're excited to do this. This is going to be a fun conversation. Again, we've already been cutting up a little bit before we hit record, but we got so much we want to get into that I felt like you guys, for our coaching community, our listeners, again, across all levels of baseball, you're going to have a ton to offer. When we talk about direct practice planning, how you've grown in that space, how you really maximize your opportunity with your team, but then also indoor, man, you guys know how to battle the snow, battle the elements, and so we want to make sure we get that out for our coaches. But let's start here, and Mark, I want you to kick us off with this one. Talk about the ABCA. Again, it's our podcast. Great opportunity to shine lights on ABCA members around the country. What's the association meant to you? How have you grown the convention experience? Break all that down for us. Well, just real quick, the coolest thing I, I think ever is I'd, I'd never been to it before until I got to be a volunteer at Baylor. Uh, mm. Worked for Steve Smith, who obviously is uh, well-respected sure. uh, at the ABCA and, and NCA baseball. Um, but 
I, I went with them and I think it was in Chicago. I can't remember, but I sat in a room in a hotel room with like Mark Johnson because uh, <laughs> Steve Smith had been at Texas A&M, had been at Mississippi State. You know, I heard about those places, mm-hmm. right? I, I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about it. I sat in a hotel room over in the corner and kept my mouth shut. Probably one of the best things I've exactly. ever done. And anybody that even knows me, that that's hard for me <laughs> to do anyways. But um, just sitting there and listening to, to uh, Coach Johnson and Coach Polk, who was, yes, smoking the cigar, mm-hmm. and, you know, listening to those guys <laughs> talking and just, I've never forgotten that. And and to branch off of that, you know, listening to people up on stages. And nowadays you guys do so well because we didn't really have it. The only thing we really had back then was the guy goes off the stage yeah. and he goes off onto a side room and half the room goes and follows him because they want more interaction. <laughs> sure. They want more. They want more like we do as coaches. And mm-hmm. and now what you guys do, um, it's just it's just outstanding. And I and, you know, I don't have a pedigree. I never played anywhere great. I, I didn't play pro ball. I mean, I started from a volunteer at an NAI in Virginia to you know, getting to where I'm at now and throughout 20 some years. And, uh, it's just, I, I haven't done it with, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do that without the ABCA and without going to those clinics without a doubt. Man, that's outstanding. Thanks for opening that up. Jad, same question, dude. Follow that one up when you talk about the ABCA, the opportunity you and I had a chance to meet out at the World Series a couple years ago. And, and again, just to hear on site how the associations really helped groom some of you guys. Jad, what's your take on that? Sure. Um, I mean, I think the organization, my first introduction to it uh, was 2005. I was an undergrad assistant at the University of Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. So I was still finishing up student teaching um, and went to the convention in Nashville. And for a 22-year-old, it was like baseball, like I say shock, just the amount of information that was there and just how readily available and how open everybody was. And not to say it wasn't good then, like I thought it was really good in 2005, Mm -hmm. but if you look at the most recent stuff, it's incredible the stuff that shows up, not just on the stage, but some of the side stuff and even just the information you can get online now is just incredible. Um, And I think that's one of the strong things, ABCA, just how open everybody is, um, sharing information. And I know that's the the general theme, but what you've done there in that office, like it is a monster now. (laughs) Um, And just the future for the ABCA is really bright. Um, And even circling back to going back to 2005 and I think it was my second convention, 2006 um, in Orlando when um, just hearing Ken Revisa speak, the sports psych stuff. Oh yeah. And um, the stuff that he hit on then is stuff. I literally showed the video that he showed in his talk. I showed it yesterday to my team of just, it was a clip from a 2004 um, college world series game between Cal State Fulton and Texas. Yep. Um, So there was, and there was different, um, the one play was just, um, it was Justin Turner hitting, and they just cycled through a hit and run that went foul, yep. followed by a fake steal with the second baseman taking one false step towards second, and the ball just squirts through to right field. Wow. And that ends up being the game clincher. But like at the time, like I thought, like whoa, that's really cool that he showed that, broke that down, and it's something I used 12 years later wow. just to kind of reiterate just there are no little things in our sport. Mm, gosh, that's fantastic. You know, the, the beauty of what you mentioned earlier is that is one – element we're really trying to uncover and accentuate and grow in our baseball community is the sharing aspect. Not that the coaches weren't great at that before, but you know, almost, and I mentioned this with a couple coaches a couple weeks ago is just that don't go to the box with secrets. You know, don't, don't, don't walk away from this earth and have all these secrets. Cause you think you have, uh, you know, rights to them. 
it's your job to kind of share them with the game, open them up to other coaches and um, even coaches you play against because they can't run it as good as you do it. You've been doing it for years. Your team knows what's coming. So, again, kind of that, that sharing aspect is huge. I'm glad you touched on that. Um, Jed, I'll start us off with this one, too. When you talk about your career path in baseball, I think it's always great to start a podcast and say, hey, man, this is where I'm come from. Here's my experience, and this is what's landed me here at this perspective. Can you start that? Sure. Um, so growing up, I grew up in um, north of here, actually. So I'm in Pennsylvania, but I grew up in Rhode Island. Okay. Um, I grew up in Lincoln, Rhode Island, just north of Providence, and got recruited to play as a, a recruited walk-on at the University of Rhode Island. Um, so Frank Leone was my head coach there. Yeah. He gave me an opportunity to, to play Division One baseball as a pitcher. Um, and career-wise, at Rhode Island, kind of put together my junior year. Statistically, it was a pretty good year. Other than that, it was the definition of a, a below-average college baseball career. Mm-hmm. And it was probably sophomore year of, my, of college. It kind of dawned on me. I'm an undersized right-handed pitcher throwing in the mid-'80s. And I think when you go to college, you always have that thought of there's a chance of, pro- of professional baseball. Sure. And not that I gave up as a sophomore. You just kind of look around the room, and you're like, there's a half a dozen guys in this room that are much better than me. So just I don't think pro ball is going to be in the cards for me. <laughs> um, but it was, I, I realized pretty quickly that I wanted to coach, teach. And initially my plan was to teach and coach at like the high school level. Um, I was a, a PE major and that, that was my plan. And after I got done playing in 04, I had a full year of, um, of school left. So I had a, a class of, um, a class in the fall. And then in the spring, I was doing it, my student teaching mm-hmm. and, uh, coach Leone asked me if I'd want to help out like an undergrad capacity at URI. So in 2005, I helped out during the fall. When I got to the spring, I was student teaching, so I couldn't really travel. Uh, so I just helped out at a local high school in Rhode Island. And in 05, um, URI actually went on to win. So they win the Atlantic 10 uh, tournament, and it's the first one in school history. So they're going to the NCAA regional. Um, they go out, they get the, uh, the West Coast ticket. So they go to Long Beach, um, where it's Long Beach State, USC, Pepperdine, and Rhode Island. And <laughs> welcome to the big so, show, baby. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, and I wasn't, um, you know, formally on the staff, um, but I did make an effort. And with the help of my parents, like they were able to basically help get me out there. Mm-hmm. And Coach Leone was nice enough. Like I actually roomed with him, um, but I basically was just there as a fan. Like I just went up into the stands and, and took it in from that angle. Wow. Um, but I think that experience, like the energy in that building was another one of those like moments like, well, this is really cool. And if I have a chance to be around college baseball, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and not to say, like, when we played, we played in some pretty good environments. Like, we went down to play Alabama when I was a player, but it just, Alabama didn't really care about us. Yes. But, like, when you get out to, like, Long Beach in a regional setting with USC and them playing, like, you can feel the energy. Mm. Um, and left side of the, the infield for Long Beach that year was Longoria was at third base and yeah. Troy Tolowitzki was at shortstop. So that was a pretty good uh, combination of talent sure. there. Um, and just observation wise, like there was even things I picked up there, um, say West coast style. I think a lot of the, uh, pace of play rules might've come from the West coast style mm-hmm. where it sure. was some three to two games that were taking, you know, three and a half hours. Cause, yep. um, every decision was calculated. There was a lot of thought that went into every decision. And obviously there was a lot of coaching going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have an appreciation just the way those teams handled, like handled themselves. And you could see how much thought went into every single decision those teams made. Um, but it was, that was an, an awesome learning experience and something that I think definitely shaped me picking up some baseball stuff and just that reinforced like, well, like I've had a chance to coach college baseball, like this is what I want to do. Mm. And I was fortunate, um, 
shortly after that, like a month later, Coach Leone was interviewing for the William & Mary job down in Virginia, um, and he asked if if I'd be interested in going down as a number two assistant, like a part-time paid spot at the time, I'm going to be the pitching coach. And at 22, year, 22 years old, I was very fortunate for that opportunity. Wow. Um, so Frank gave me a chance to be a player, gave me a chance to be a coach. Um, and I went down with Frank. This was the summer of 2005 to be the pitching coach down at William & Mary. Um, wow. And from there, it's the, the stuff you pick up. And Coach Stanoni has always been great to me and learned a lot from him um, and the other coaches that I work with. And then the other thing during that stretch, I feel like just observation wise was critical for me. So it's again, continuing learning in the ABCA environment. But the other thing too, is just even when you're competing against a team, you just sit back and just kind of see what the good teams are doing. No doubt. And obviously there's a talent pool there, but there's teams like when you're playing UVA and um, some other teams, it's like even UNC Wilmington in the conference, those teams were always talented, but they made you earn every single base. Sure. Um, and they played really hard and really focused. And those are just some things that kind of picked up. Um, not that we weren't trying to do those things at William & Mary, but it was just something that I made know. Like, if I'm ever a head coach, like, I really want to make that a point of emphasis to take care of every single base when we can. Um, and one final, sorry to get a little long-winded with this, but one final, the um, – it was a recruiting trip. So I was going out to the division two junior college world series in Oklahoma. And this was, I think 2011 um, and went there to, to maybe identify talent possibly for the next year or some freshmen, some rising sophomores at the junior college level. Mm -hmm. And as I was evaluating, just one of the games, just kind of sit back and just take in and watch teams that are from a talent standpoint, for the most part, they're all in the same neighborhood yeah. where it was like one through eight, there wasn't a huge gap. And you could see some teams looked a little bit better, a little more athletic. But as you watch the game unfold, you just realize how many opportunities you have to affect the outcome of a game. Mm -hmm. And it's just the little things that pop up in a game. And I, that's something that always stuck with me. I'm, I mean, it's something we try to do from a postseason standpoint is just if you take care of all those little moments over and over again, it gives you the best chance. It doesn't guarantee you anything, but That's it's going to give you your best chance to win. Yeah. And it really was, that was eye-opening to me. Um, and it kind of changed my perspective of none of that stuff's preset. Like if you get in a postseason setting and that's regional stuff, World Series stuff, it's the difference between, between team one and team eight is so small mm. that it just, it comes down to a play or two a lot of the times. So just trying to take care of those moments. Okay. And then about eight years ago, right? This is your eighth season? It is. Yeah. So this is, I got, shortly after that, I, um, the Westchester job opened up yeah. and did a little bit of research, reaching out to some people that were familiar with the job, heard really good things about program, the area. Um, and I really wanted to have the opportunity to be a head coach. Yeah. And that, those were the things that were enticing and was fortunate enough to get this job. And um, Westchester's followed through on everything, all the good things I heard about Westchester. It's followed through on every single one of those. Wow. So it's definitely a chance to win here. Like you can recruit a really good student athlete. It's a great place to live. Um, it's good baseball. The league's really competitive. Yeah. And it's been a great experience. My eight years here have been, have been awesome. Gosh, it's outstanding. Well, I mean, a couple national championships and you have to fight through a thick PSAC conference. I mean, just up and down every weekend, you got to show up. And uh, again, we're just thankful to have you on the call and, and really having you open up some really good information that you got in store for us. Also, want to kick it over to Mark and let Mark kind of run through his career path. And Mark, again, you got three national championships, so there's five on the call. Uh, I obviously didn't bring anything to the table on this one. I'm going to let you guys handle that one. Uh, but Mark, going into, again, 17 seasons there at Iowa Western and certainly a multitude of experience before that, just open that up in terms of walk us from day one to current. 
Dude, I'm old listening to him. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, <laughs> I am. Um, so uh, I, I tell you what, I'll be short and I'm honest. And um, I, I went to college and I was playing baseball and I went to college to play baseball and not work on the farm um, <laughs> and, and, not, and stay out of working at the lumberyard or whatever may be in my future. Yeah. And um, I honestly kept passing classes to stay eligible to play baseball. Mm -hmm. Um, and it kept me out of trouble, the structure of it. Um, I ended up participating in two junior college world series, which was an eye opener for me. Um, I, uh, ended up going to Iowa Westland. Uh, a lot of people would know in Mount Pleasant. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people would know Iowa Westland had like Hal Mummies, the football coach. Um, and, uh, um, they had Dana Holgerson as he was uh, there. He's actually from there wow. on the football team. Yeah. Um, Tim Buss was my roommate who is the strength coach for about the last 20 years, 19 or 20 years for the Cubs wow. in the big leagues. Um, uh, Jerry Ford, who started Perfect Game, was our assistant coach. How about that? In little wow. Mount Pleasant, Iowa. <laughs> yeah. Actually, actually. Actually, one of the assistants uh, there at the time, who is now at Washington State, the football coach, um, can't even think of his name, but uh, at, at Washington State, the football coach there, oh, he was an he Mike was an Leach? assistant. Yeah, he was an assistant football coach there at the time. Wow, yes. how about that? <laughs> so, anyways, uh, then there's me, right? Um, <laughs> and then, uh, perfect. Uh, I, I ended up leaving there, and um, well, actually, I ended up having an arm surgery, and. Uh, uh, very immature kid still. Um, and, um, I, I was never going to coach. I, I don't know what I was going to do, but I wasn't going to coach. Um, and my, my life really chose me and I'm not getting all crazy about no. it or anything. Like that. I'm, I'm just going to tell you my life ended, I, I ended up gravitating towards the coaching side. Mm. I stayed in the game. I mean, my, my degrees in recreation administration, I don't even know what the hell that means. So, <laughs> wow. um, uh, <laughs> not sure, but, not sure what you do with it, but yeah, run with but, it. <laughs> exactly. But you know what, but, but you look at the game, you look at baseball, you look at life. I, I call them the two failure sports. Like you got to learn mm -hmm. how to mm -hmm. show up every day and do something within it every day. And I, I wasn't realizing at the time, but I was doing it. And then you add in an arm surgery that changes everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I go down to Bluefield College in Bluefield, Virginia, a uh, little NAI school, uh, worked for the Orioles in the summer a little bit, who had uh, in the Appalachian League, who was there at the time. Um, wow. And what I did while I was there is I fell in love with coach. That's where actually I fell in love with it all. Um, uh, and I wasn't making an absolute penny doing it. I had to do odd jobs on the side. And I started... The um, this before emails, I started, uh, I, <laughs> I hear you laughing. Carrier pigeons. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, I strap them on the horse and slap it on the back side. So, it gets um, and yeah, hopefully somebody <laughs> grabs it, but, uh, I started emailing out to every, I took the, uh, I took baseball America's, um, directory and I started going through all of the, um, all, all the conferences and yeah. I started eat, I started I did these letters, typed them up wow. and sent and, and sent them out to all of them. And I just kept getting all these. Nope. 
nope, yeah. nope, don't have, don't have it, can't, you know. And I was like, volunteer, grad assistant. I don't know what the hell I was going to do with grad mm-hmm. assistant, by the way. I wasn't going to be able <laughs> to get go in. Not back but, to school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, but uh, any, the, the last batch I sent out, um, Steve Smith. Uh, from Baylor wow. at the time, and this was this was when Baylor was just this was right before the stadium. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know what I was getting into. I was home at Christmas time, and he calls my uh, parents' house, and my mom. I I just remember to this day, my mom pushing the uh, vo- the uh, answering machine, and again, I'm dating myself with all this stuff, <laughs> and and me hearing it in the kitchen, and I heard him, and he's, hey, I'm trying to reach. Uh, uh, run down uh, the Mark Reardon and all this stuff. And I called him up and we had one conversation and he said, well, can you be here like in three days or four days at the time? Hey, listen, I had to drive all the way back down to Virginia, get my stuff and drive over to Waco, wow. Texas. And, and I was in, I was there in three days. Wow. I, I mean, that's what you do. Yep. Um, and that just started all with me. Um, I was there for two years. Um, I knew I really needed to get out that place. Baylor was so great to me. Steve Smith, Mitch Thompson, who's at McClendon mm-hmm. now yes. is like my older brother. Yep. Um, and those guys, uh, still really close with, um, I left there to go to Yavapai junior college to do the recruiting, mm. be a pitching guy, just get my feet wet more. Um, and I was there for three years and then, uh, um, I went to Lamar community college in Southeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and l- listen, when, when I was at Yavapai, I made, I made 15,000, no benefits. I was married. I just, I got married. Yeah. Um, uh, my first son who is now 17, he'll be a freshman here this fall, uh, pitching for me. And, uh, he was born in Prescott, Arizona, where, where Yavapai is. So we were there for three years. My wife carried us for a while, uh, yeah. with, <laughs> with yeah. jobs, um, went to Lamar for, for three months. Um, a great three months. It's one of those things where you get around the right person just for that three months. Sure. Scott cramped, Scott Crampton, who's now retired. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, the, the fall was outstanding. It really was just, you know, and all my, all my stops have been great, but you get somewhere and it's just that three months. And then uh, Iowa Western called, and I came on the visit, and they offered it to me. I went back. I felt horrible to Scott, and this is this is tribute. To, he's like, you gotta do it. Like it's <laughs> a head job. It's yeah. you know you're from originally from Iowa, which that wasn't a bother to me. It was just the fact of I saw this place as a, as a great opportunity, and uh, you know tribute to him for for handling that the right way. And I've this is my 17th year here, and uh, I think. I, I think it's, I think it's important that people get out. I think it's, I, I think it's crucial. My opinion, which I don't know what it means, but for for young coaches to move around, I mean, unbelievable mm. how a lot of today's coaches, you know, you got to have bags will travel. Like the yeah. one thing I, I think one of the coolest things that my dad has ever told me was he was always amazed how I wasn't scared that I would just I would make a move. Mm-hmm all in let's Mm -hmm. do this and i think it's a tribute to a couple things number one my love for baseball and the the coaching uh profession and wanting to move up um and number two who i kept surrounding myself with i mean i I, obviously i think it's important here uh with who you're surrounding yourself with and i tell all my assistants here when they leave just 
dude, do what you got to do, but always make sure you're surrounding yourself with the right people. And, um, so those, those were two things. And I tell you what, I still carry with me during the spring. I carry a file full of not interested, don't have room letters that I received back in 1997. And I, yep. And I carry those, you go through life, either humble or being humble. Yep. And, um, I just carry those, they are in my coach's sack when we go on every trip in the, yeah. Wow. You know, when I want to feel sorry for myself in the hotel room after we just got slapped around on the field and got out coached and outplayed or whatever, I can look at those and remember many, many years ago. And it's just one of those things. You'd be humble or, or get humbled. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. I'm going to go right back on this. Cause again, we're talking about the major lessons that jumped off. You just dropped. I love that. Have bags will travel. I think for any coach and it's not, not everybody's going to have the layout that Paul Maneri had where he's, you know, really almost never been an assistant coach and never experienced what that's like. That doesn't happen for everyone. So it is an opportunity to gain experience and, and pull from different perspectives and help that mature you as a coach. But what else, Mark, what else would you offer that are just major lessons that jump off to you? Um, any coach paying attention to this, like, Hey, let me be your experience on this one. You need to understand this. What would you offer? Yeah. And, and when I say that, Jeremy, I don't mean like, you know, you're just always looking for the next no, no, no. great oh, thing. Right. I mean, I, you know, I, I wasn't, but, but with, you know, so like when I left Baylor, I mean, I knew on the, I, like you got to network, you have to network guys. Hmm. And at, at Baylor back then as a volunteer, you know, back then, like you can't do anything, right? Like you didn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, um, literally you stayed on camp. I mean, zero. Yeah. yeah. And so, Hey, and which was fine. I was given a great opportunity, but I was like, I got to get out. And people were always like, why did you leave Baylor to go to Yavapai? Cause I was going to be able to recruit and, mm-hmm. and, and, and four year schools were going to recruit our kids. Mm-hmm. So I was going to meet them when they were on campus and, just that stuff. And when, when you can get around, you know, uh, coach was talking about West Coast offenses and, and, and watching those teams when he traveled out there with Rhode Island and watching those West Coast teams, you know, different programs, different coaches, different beliefs, you know, how you pitch, how you hit your mm-hmm. culture within the 24 hours a day, just how you, how you run your program. I mean, there's just so much different ways out there. And that's, I, I was so fortunate when I got here that I, I'm, I've obviously gotten better with time, but I had an idea when I first got here that was a good foundation. And I've obviously grown as a person myself and my program has grown mm-hmm. as since I've been here. But I, I, I just, you know, getting locked in on one or two ways. I mean, it's all, you know, it's, it's like reading one book. Yeah. I mean, that's just all, you know. Wow. And so, so that's, that's a big thing for me. And obviously ABCA does that and it opens people's eyes when they go and I know when I speak places and I know you've been here with me and yeah. I open people's eyes with how we practice and yeah. uh, the speed of our practices and things like that. So I, I think that's just people, that's what people need to, to do. But, you know, you have to have an ego to drop your ego. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and, you know, I, I mean, I have love an that. ego, but, 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 but man, I, I love to drop it and, mm-hmm. and learn from people. I mean, I, I actually try to learn from people almost to a fault. I think, I mean, I'm just, I'm just so out there. I'm, I'm texting people and po- some of the people that will listen to this podcast will go. Yes, he does. He bothers me. <laughs> well, no, you know, you, and, you and I've talked about this, the people that are recruiting your players or, you know, the ones that you have in the past, you develop relationships with, you lean on them a lot. I mean, we, we talked about that. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I'm going to do 
all their stuff or I'm wanting to do it just like them. But it's just it's taking these pieces here or there. And maybe it is totally something like, oh, my God, that makes total like right. that fits for us. Or it's just something little. I mean, I just I, I'm a you know. I always tell people that the two people that have stole more in baseball than anybody is Ricky Henderson and Mark Reardon. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's, that's Noted. really what it is. That's, that, awesome. that's really what it, that I think that that's really what it needs to be. But, um, you know, coaches and parents, I think are the two biggest hypocrites in life. And I'm both, I'm a parent. I got two sons and I'm a coach. And when you can learn that you can stop judging, you can stop critiquing mm-hmm. and just, just be open and take it. And if it's not your pro, I used to do it and, and critique and have an opinion about something when I don't need to have an opinion about their stuff. I need to listen. And if there's something I like, then, then take it. And if there isn't, Hey, good for them. And I'm going my way. But you know, one of the things you just got to do is, is, is again, you know, be humble, Mm -hmm. uh, have that ego to drop your ego and, and learn from people and don't be a hypocrite and critique. Like just, just learn from each other and take what you, what you like or what you don't like. Love every bit of that. Jad, I'm coming right back to you again, your coaching career. When you think back of all the different stops or even like Mark said, interactions with other coaches and conversations, what are some of the major lessons that really jump off to you again, from a listener's perspective, they, you could be their experience. They're like, wow, I could walk in his shoes right there with them to learn that lesson and take it home. What would you offer? Sure. I piggyback in one of the last things Mark just said there. I love his, his take right there on, um, just everybody critiquing everything sure. all the time. And I think that's a dangerous direction. Like our, all the good things in our sport. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the conversations are good and important, but just with like when guys are just banging heads and taking shots at each other, and almost making fun of what their beliefs and thoughts are. Um, I think we run into trouble and I think big picture, like that's not going to end well for any of us. And I am doing my best too. It's sometimes it's your instinct to just have that little, ah, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? And I feel like I'm doing a better job of just growing out of that. And just like he said, like you might not want to do it or it might not be for you, but it doesn't make it wrong. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be something you have to knock on. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just see the things are getting really personal just some of the things that people put out there and it just, um, and I know some of it is business driven where it's people trying to promote a business, but it's just something I think we need to be careful of, um, just ragging on somebody cause their thoughts don't align. Yeah. Um, and I get some people have access to a lot of information and they might be of the two, they're probably more on the wrong or more on the right than the wrong, but it still doesn't give them the freedom just to bash on anything that doesn't line up with their beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just a kind of a general thought of just, observation of where some of these things are going. Um, one of the other, just I say young coaches. Um, and I think essentially the guys that are motivated to do this, and you certainly see a lot of young guys doing this is basically gather as much information as possible. And then you make the best decision in the situation that you're in to apply that information. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do everything. So you have to kind of sift through and pick, okay, this makes sense. I can make this work where I am and you try it. Some stuff's going to stick and you keep doing it. And then you'll probably have to tweak some stuff. Um, and then the other thing is you go through it, I think being strong enough to not change for the sake of change. So I think there are some things that have, that are consistent that will work literally forever within our sport. And it might not be a mechanical thing, but it could be an approach thing, a mindset thing. And I think the thing works in any sport and I think it will work for literally forever. And I think just being willing to, stay strong and don't change something just for the sake of change. Um, and I think that's, and you'll know, like when that thing just feels right, 
it just, you'll know like, okay, this is something that we're going to do moving forward. And this is something, no matter where I am, whatever program I'm at, we're always going to be doing this. Um, and that's something I think that's really important as well. Gosh, those are awesome. You guys are, we are off and running downhill. There's no doubt. Jad, follow back up with this one and let's get into this practice planning idea. Man, you guys are on fire right now. Um, and I'm thinking overall, cause we're going to get into some indoor stuff here in a little bit, but I'm just thinking overall in practice planning. And you mentioned some of that stuff. Again, I love the postseason reference, how recognizing what shows up or what truly matters when you get to the postseason seems to be everything, especially when you bring that directly back to even first practice in, in August. Uh, but as you work throughout the year, I'm thinking as a head coach, I'm thinking when it's on you, and at the end of the day, like Mark Griffiths earlier, out coach, that's on you. It's never on your assistants, it's never on your players. When you have those moments as a head coach, you look at your plan. How have those practices changed from year one now to year eight? Um, and then how have you improved? How have you really found ways to maximize that time that you have with your kids? Sure. Uh, practice planning as a whole, like general concept, um, going back to the postseason thought is working backwards. Like if we're playing in a national championship setting or a regional setting, um, just knowing what's important, like what do we have to be from a skill standpoint? So obviously there's, obviously there's a recruiting piece to that and a development piece. Um, but even from a, a mindset standpoint and a stability standpoint, like what do we have to look like? And working backwards off of that, so first team meeting in the fall, first practices in the fall, we try to establish that identity as quickly as possible. And I know it's like legitimate for some guys, it's going to take a year. It's going to take two years. And some guys, it might even take three years before literally they're able to follow through on everything you're asking them to do. Right. And I know in a perfect world, it's you give them information, they execute it. Um, but it's one thing to do some of those things in a, a practice setting. It's another thing to do all those things when it really, really matters. Um, so, but with that said is we're trying to, to force that in a practice setting so they get comfortable doing those different things we're asking of them. Um, and I think from a fall ball practice standpoint, it's the balance assessing what we have, um, certainly working on the development piece and then introducing new things, whether that's, you know, things you've, we've been doing in the past to the new players, or maybe it's just some new stuff that we're going to be doing this year. And we're trying to balance all that stuff to get a feel for what our talent pools like, mm -hmm. continue to work the development piece and then introduce new ideas to those guys. Um, and as we get kind of fast forwarding towards the spring, um, there's definitely a little bit of a script of week by week, we're looking to accomplish these things. So we'll introduce, you know, signs during this week, we'll go over some bunt coverage stuff here, we'll work first and third stuff here. Mm -hmm. And we're still working skill development throughout the entire year. Um, but we're, it's pretty mapped out leading up to the season. And with that said is I know our first game, February 22nd, um, I know we're not going to be a finished product and I know everybody in the country, like nobody's going to be a finished product. Um, but I feel like our job is to prep our team to win, being prepared to win every single date on our schedule. So just know like on February 22nd, we have enough in play where we're able to win that game, but also know we're still building towards those May and hopefully some June games on the back end of the season. Mm. Um, and generally speaking, this is something that, I think can help. And I think it's a good information reveal. Uh, you can have that scripted plan to not overwhelm your players by giving them too much information too quickly. Yes. So it is, it's staggered and you kind of give it in small bites and they work through it and you're kind of adding your piggybacking stuff. So like one idea, and then you add another idea that piggybacks off of it. Um, but there are times where 
I'll go into information overload where I will throw a lot at them in a short time just to see how they react. And I don't do it to jump down their throats to, to call them out. I literally will just sit back to see who digests what, and I'll just make kind of an inventory of, okay, this guy processes information really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then I'll make a, another note of this guy's going to need a little bit of time with some of these things. But I think that's a good way to almost create that game acceleration in a practice setting. Um, but we did like even last year, it's, we had a freshman that ended up essentially being our, our leadoff hitter and playing second base for us. I think one of the early signs for me was he just did a really good job of processing things. Mm -hmm. So he's a physically talented kid, but what separated him was for a freshman and part of it might be he was a high school quarterback. So that's kind of, it's in his nature a little bit where he has to process information. Uh, But he did an exceptional job of just um, picking things up and applying them really quickly. Wow. Um, Go ahead. I was going to follow yep. up. Is is there a uh, do you work off something? Do you work off an, an Excel sheet that you have these things that you're trying to get throughout the year? And or, or are you at a place again eight years in? Are you at a place where you've basically mapped things out? You know how things fall into place from a timing standpoint. Do you have that combo? So I, some of the stuff I do have scripted out. I want to pull these things off um, here, and then I don't say some of it's just you know in my head of. As I go through, I'm just I'm tweaking a little bit and kind of feeling things out of okay. um, within that structure. There's flexibility of um, whatever a half a week or a full week of I'm going to wait on this or I'm going to add this. It just depends on kind of the the way everything goes. Um, but there is like I do have a, a structure of ideally like perfect world. Um, this is what the season's going to look like. Gotcha. Were you, were you this organized as a first year head coach? Uh, no, I wasn't. But well. Not definitely learning some things on the way. <laughs> sure. I will say, so my first year as a head coach, and this is another just uh, piece of advice. I got so consumed with coaching. It was without a doubt, the unhealthiest year of my life, I would oh, say. Oh, baby. And yes, sir. not in a total, not in a total negative way, but to the point of, um, it just, by the end of the year, like I was shot, mm-hmm. like mentally shot. And even during the middle of the season, it just consumes you. And, um, it's just something to keep an eye on. And my lesson from that year was whatever, even if it's just getting exercise three, four times a week, making sure you're sleeping, making sure you're eating. But there were some things that popped up, um, that I just know, like I was so invested into the coaching piece Mm -hmm. that I just really wasn't taking care of everything else. Um, and it is, there's definitely some stress that comes with the thing, but it was a really good learning experience for me of just kind of putting things in perspective and literally that first year it couldn't have went any better so we went 25 and one out of the gate we had a little bit of struggles mid-season and we go on to win the national championship first time in school history yeah. and i'm looking at the end of the year um it was a lot of fun it was an awesome ride and all that but i'm like i was so into it that i don't think i enjoyed it as much as i should have wow and that's it was a good learning thing for me um and i'll even Add, this is something, I don't know the exact publication, but it's actually a quote that I saw from Mark recently in one of the online or one of the, um, the magazines I got. And he was referencing just, they've obviously won three national championships there. And he put in there that it doesn't change your life, which I totally agree with. Hmm. And just seeing that in print, it said, basically it said, you make memories, which you certainly do. It's stuff you'll cherish forever, but it's not like you win that final trophy and all of a sudden, like your life is just you know, everything's perfect. Yeah, no doubt. It's just, there's, so that's why I think it's really, really important to enjoy every step of the way, whatever the final outcome is, 
uh, just ideally we all maximize whatever our potential is, but just enjoy the whole thing. Enjoy the entire season. Enjoy the bad days. Enjoy the good days. But I think sometimes we get so caught up on the finality of if I get that trophy, you know, I'm going to be set. Everything's going to be good, Mm -hmm. but just enjoy every step of it. God, it's fantastic. How about Mark Reardon getting, uh, getting quoted on a Mark Reardon (laughs) podcast? (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> that's outstanding. Checks in the mail. Checks exactly. in the mail. <laughs> you guys just are. Give me that right. Just give me that right-handed pitcher we need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's work. Working the plans here, boys. Working the plans. Um, let's go into this, Mark. Again, follow that back up. Practice planning overall, especially as a head coach. Again, seeing it differently yeah. over so many years. Um, how have they changed? How have they improved? And kind of what maybe is your uh, your focus when you get to those times? The one thing that doesn't change that I wish I would have learned for myself. It would have helped me earlier um, uh, as a person, as a young student athlete and first getting into coaching that I have just learned through time. The two things that they fight every day. And if you came into my facility and asked any of my kids, what do you got to fight today? What are the two things they will be able to tell you boredom and frustration. Mm. Boredom gets them into trouble. Frustration gets them into trouble and you know boredom they look for things to do you know yep. at 47 years old and overweight i mean I, I get bored at home i'm looking for a bag of potato chips you know and these guys when they get bored they're looking for things to do and so when, when it goes to practice that, that goes to anything in their life and so in practice you have to manage that you have to be aware of what they have to fight in in my opinion and and th- those are the two, which the boredom side is making sure that things are fresh, making sure that we're staying on top. Make sure you got enough to do and what you're doing and that you don't have, you know, the old little league practice. One guy's fielding the ground ball and 12 others are in line and sure. two of them are trying to do handstands. One of them's chasing a, a butterfly. I mean, <laughs> the same thing happens at junior college. You're just a little bit older. Um, and so th- it's those types of things and keeping it fresh. And the frustration side is going to happen but they have to be aware of it. And when it's happening, you know, body language, rolling their eyes, uh, what they're saying, their verbiage, stuff like that. Those are the two biggest things that I really try to make them aware of uh, in life. But, you know, and for me, it started in practices, just understanding that and trying to have that structure enough. And I think, I, I think it's really hard if you don't understand that and you don't, uh, really take it past. Okay. This is what I want to do. Cause I know it's going to give us more opportunities. You know, all I'm ever trying to create for my guys is more opportunities. Like we always talk about just have a chance, be in a position to have a chance to win the game. What's up? Be in the posi- it doesn't mean you're going to win the game, but yeah. all you can ever ask is like being in the game, yeah. you know, being able to be in the game or take a lead in the game and sustain it, stuff like that. And, mm. and so that's really what we try to do with that in, in working with 18, 19 year old kids, um, some of them are extremely talented. Some of them are, you know, they're all links in the chain, but you know, some of them, uh, have more work to do when it comes to polishing and whatever it may be, they still all have their fights. And, uh, um, with, with what you're doing, if you're going to do the same thing every day, hey, it's Tuesday, we're going to do this Wednesday, we're going to do this. And I'm not like that. I mean, the two things that we've really always made sure to do is we stretch differently every day. Um, and we, have a different practice every day. And I don't mean it's like script two, script three. It, it's just, it's on a, it's, it's on a, what we need basis. And, um, throughout, gotcha. throughout, throughout times, um, I'll tell you a story about my practices. So I, people come in all the time and, and, 
and want to uh, watch us practice or stuff like that. And I, my, I have an open door. I mean, come on in, you know, learn about our culture, learn about our practices, whatever. And uh, I was at another clinic and one of the high school coaches was there who'd been at my place a couple of times. And he says, listen, he goes, I, I, he goes, I've seen the most unbelievable practice. And this was during the fall. He goes, I seen the most unbelievable practice at, at Iowa Western. He goes, and the funny thing is, is I met with coach Reardon in the morning and we talked about stuff and, and in in my office, and we watched some video of some practices and what we're doing. He goes, we went to Fazoli's. Ooh, I love Fazoli's free breadsticks. <laughs> sure. And and uh, we went there, and he and he told, and I don't remember this, but he says I drew up our practice plan on a napkin. <laughs> and he goes, we went to that practice in the afternoon, and he goes, it was the most unbelievable organized practice, and. To me, I think that that goes to your culture. It's not wow. your standards as well. It isn't just practice time, flip a switch. I mean, it is it is the understanding, and it's a grind uh, to get them to that point. But when you do, um, you know, I, again, I, I think it's important to challenge them every day to to, to keep them in, intrigued um, and make sure that they're aware of what they're battling. And I mean, it's it's going to be a failure. Mm. Would you say that? you've morphed uh, into a much better practice coach than maybe your, just your first year, or were you pretty seasoned at that point in terms of, man, I know how to do things or what were maybe the lessons you learned as a young okay. coach? I, I had, again, I was fortunate everywhere I'd been. I didn't realize it at the time, right. but making a circle through the United States and coming back to <laughs> Iowa Western, I mean, really helped me. So I had an idea, but I'm way past that. And just the way of, of ideas, structure, implementing, um, pace of practice. Uh, and I'm not just getting, trying to get incredible, so many things done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've also stopped worrying about trying to do every meticulous little thing, you know, I mean, wow. hit, hit, throw strikes, um, uh, special teams is big to us. Special teams is base running to us. You know, everybody's got their offense, defense, yep. and then, you know, uh, it's a junior college level, much less any level. I mean, you can get back into game, you can create momentum. And obviously the game's way more about momentum than the scoreboard. The scoreboard only matters at the end. Mm. Um, so special teams is big for us. And then obviously routine defense. And we don't really try to just practice a thousand different things. Um, we just have different ways to practice, you know, 10 things and, and try to do it, uh, the best we can and win, win some middle innings. Um, you know, everybody's fired up at the beginning of the game and everybody's tense at the end of the game, uh, in the middle really gets overlooked a lot of times. And Iowa Western throughout the years has won and put away a lot of games in middle innings. Wow. Is there something that jumps off to you, Mark? Uh, and you may, this may be more of that team, um, team practice dynamic, but I want you to answer it. What's maybe the program known for? What's maybe the specialty that jumps off? Uh, I mean, I'm known for like all my create, like the, the team practice game. Like, you know, I always say that there's two sides of the baseball. Obviously you got the offensive side, you got the defensive side, you know, um, when a pitcher's throwing, that's one side of the baseball. When the hitter's hitting, that's another side mm-hmm. of the baseball. And what I try to do is use, as many sides as both as I can. And what I mean by that is, so you got the, the guy hitting in the cage. Um, uh, there's times where we have tees on the side outside of the bubble on the field where we got two more guys that after that guy hits, they can hit ground balls 
and work on their swing and hitting a, what we call power ground ball, something that a little bit more length to it and giving something. And the thing is, the funny thing is, is those guys hitting t hitting off those tees will give the players more game like than we will fungos. You know, we will sure. we can hit them perfectly, little two hoppers, make them feel good about themselves. Yep. When these guys are like smoking balls at them, rolling over balls at them, With stuff intent. like that. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I mean, depending on if they're friends or not, right? <laughs> sure. So, um, but you know, those those are, I mean. Anything like that to make it game-like. Um, and, again, with the baseball side, you've got defense. you got uh, you got the pitcher backing up. you got defense out there. On the offensive side of that baseball, you got base runners involved. I mean, anytime you can get it, it just kills me when I'm seeing places where the outfield looks like a prison yard. There's just kids sporadically everywhere out there just <laughs> hanging out. Um, uh, your little group here and a little clan over here and stuff like that. Yeah. When uh, lining them up and what we do, one of the things we do is we just have three lines out there and the pitchers are involved in it. And if it's a ball that the outfielder who's at that position at the time wants to go get, he can go get it. But if it's one that's really not playable for him, whoever's next behind him as a pitcher will will then go get it. Now, for me as a coach, it allows my pitchers to sit there and talk BS all day right beside each other, but yet we still go get every ball mm -hmm. that we need to get while we're also out of the way of outfielders so they can work balls. And I mean, just little things like that yeah. that um, we've just I've just learned over the years that makes sense. And you have to not worry about other people and what they think about you. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure people are out there going, Mark Reardon, he thinks he reinvented the game or whatever. I, I do stuff outside the box. Yeah. And it's what makes sense to my program. And it literally does make sense to my 18, 19-year-old kids. And we get done taking BP. Like, it's a practice. Yeah. Like, we handle balls. It wasn't just one guy hitting, a coach throwing, and a couple pitchers on the side trying to figure out how to fungal. Like, our, our, I mean <laughs> – it's, it, you know, it's those types of things that I think you just, and it's hard to do every day. It's hard to be organized. Yeah. It's hard to challenge them every day. Again, it, it, it starts and ends with me. And I've just learned that throughout years. And that bettered me as a person and as a husband, and as a dad and as a coach and as a mentor to assistants. I mean, it's just one of those things where as you're bettering everybody and to me, it all goes back to a culture. I mean, it's mm -hmm. what's expected. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just how it is. Yeah. Um, and your your kids, you know, and your kids will compete that way. And we're, we're known to compete. Uh, we'll run. If I guess if I, I hope if you ask me again, you know, yeah. okay, what are you known for? Yeah. Um, I, one thing that I've learned um, is what I really hate to have done to me is what I really want to do to people. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. So... So like, I mean, we run, yeah. we will bunt. If you're not going to defend it, okay, we'll bunt. Uh, we'll hit and run like crazy. If you're going to throw a lot of strikes, then you better hold runners. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, like whatever. I mean, we, we go first to third. And if you throw us out, sometimes we tip our hat, but the guy who just hit it is standing on second. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I mean, pick your poison type thing. And that yeah. just takes energy. You got to be selfless. You got to understand that you're going to be out sometimes, but you're also putting this in a better position. You don't win chess by, by having all your pieces. Like you're going to lose some pieces while you win the chess match. And that's what baseball is. Oh, that's so good. Uh, Jad, follow that one up when you're thinking about the area that you're most known for. What, what would you say that is in terms of when people watch Westchester play or the, the feedback that you get from other coaches or fans or parents, what's the thing that jumps off to them? Sure. Um, piggybacking a little bit off Mark, it's one of the things I wanted to touch on. 
And I know when Mark says it, and I've heard other coaches say it, I know when they refer to base running as the special teams of baseball, like that's their version of saying it's really important Mm -hmm. and not to neglect it. Um, But I think you could even take it a step higher um, where you, it's such a big part of the offense. It's like the passing game of the offense. Mm. So there's some teams where their identity is their base running. And like once when that ball's put in play, obviously the hitter, he's a runner now and everything he does from that, like, now his hitting mechanics, his approach, as soon as the ball's put in play, all that it's out the window. Hmm. So how he runs through first or how he rounds first base, whatever read he makes, he's a base runner now. Um, and that's the same goes for the guys that are on base. Um, like every secondary lead, every dirt ball read, mm-hmm. when you're looking to tag in certain situations, I think the base running piece, and statistically for us, um, we don't steal a lot of bases. And it's something that um, we could definitely do more of. And I think it's something that we could challenge teams a little bit. But we try to identify some other spots to to take extra bases. And it's something we coach a lot of maximizing every step on the bases um, just to take advantage if a mistake pops up or even if the opposition essentially executes a play, but they don't do it in a timely fashion. Yeah. We try to do our best to advance maximum bases. Um, so I do think like that base running piece, when we're going well, I think it's a big piece of our identity. Um, and it's not just a stolen base piece to it. Um, and then other identity stuff. I mean, offensively, we've had some really deep lineups, um, just one through nine of guys that can split gaps, hit extra base hits. And I think those lineups, they're tough to deal with, mm-hmm. um, where it's just anybody can do damage. And it's always like if you get to a bottom of an order and there's a, an eight-hole hitter that has a hole, but it's just if you don't execute a pitch, he's going to do damage. Mm-hmm. I think those are really tough lineups to handle. Um, so that's something I think we're definitely been known. Our better teams have definitely had those deep lineups. Um, and the other one, too, is more uh, just an approach um, of just consistency regardless of the circumstance. So it's like a scoreboard challenge sometimes they refer to as like if somebody showed up in the fourth inning, like the body language of our players, of our dugout would, get, would not tip our hand of how the game is going. Mm. So just we want to be super consistent at all times. And it just the score doesn't change it. The inning doesn't change it. Game one of a doubleheader, game two. We just want to be really consistent. And game strategy, if we're up big or down big, obviously strategy-wise, like we're not going to bun or steal in some of those spots. Mm-hmm. Um, but just our effort and the way how we're engaged, the challenge is to be really consistent with that stuff. And the energy piece to me, so energy for me, is just the guys that are between the lines, they are consumed with taking care of the moment mm-hmm. and then also anticipating what is next. Like that's what energy is to me. I honestly, it's... I don't care if our guys, and I want to communicate so it's functional, but I don't need any token noise. I really don't. It's just the good teams for us have been consumed with, they are fully engaged of taking care of the moment, and they're one step, trying to be one step ahead. Okay, this could happen. And the same for the dugout. Like, I want the dugout to be in that same mindset where more so they're paying attention than trying to come up with some chirp that's going to get get under the other team's skin or just making blanket noise for the sake of noise. And sometimes it's, and even after a loss, there's times where um, we might present ourselves like we don't play well in a game and you won't hear much from us. So it might look like we're flat. And there's times where I have to like remind myself, like this is part of our identity and it's worked for us. We're just, when we stay committed to this thing and we stay true to this, um, sometimes the other team's going to beat us. And last year in the postseason, we went 0-4 in the postseason. We went 0-2 in the conference tournament. 0-2 in the regional, and the teams we played did a really good job of playing against us. We didn't really play our best games, and 
even on the conference tournament, um, we had an inning, like one of those nightmare innings of everything. Mm-hmm. So not executing pitches, poor defense, um, anything that could go wrong essentially went wrong in that inning. Yeah. And to the point of, I was trying to make a pitching change as they just walked off on a, a walk-off 10-run um, rule in the postseason. So <laughs> the league just added a 10-run a rule in the postseason, and I was trying to make a pitching change, and the umps yelling out at me. I'm like, I'm changing my pitcher, but the game was over. Um, but that's just wow. when we stay true to, to what we are. And after the end of that game, it just I know it doesn't look well, but um, when we're doing our thing and, and staying locked in on what's next, I think that's been a good formula for us for sure. Really good. Jad, other creative ways that you found to maximize your time on the field, like Mark was referencing his batting practice and, and utilizing those tees and ground balls. What's some other things that you do that really just, I mean, you're jam-packing a lot into that time period on, on the field? For sure. And the that BP, the live BP thing, and I, I'll piggyback off that as well. It's yeah. one of the things, um, when we get on the field, it's like a coach pitch live BP. And setup-wise, it could be one swing, it could be four swings where the hitter is working a specific execution. Yeah. It could be three things in a row of the same thing, or it could be bun a guy over, move him along, and then elevate off of it. Um, and then there'll be base runners with it that are working live reads off of that. Yep. So they might be doing something off of the swing. And the defense is going to get every ball live. And we usually do the last rep coming out that everybody plays everything live. So the initial reps from the defense, they'll go field the ball, but there's no throw. It's still just get a ball to a bucket. Sure. Um, but, but when we get to that last rep, it's hitters going live, base runners going live, defense is going live with a throw. Um, and having a couple guys in the outfield, obviously, just so they're not running back and forth the whole time is helpful. But even, you can even do it with just one guy at each infield spot. If you have a little bit of depth, you can add a second guy to some of the spots. Um, but it is a good way to get um, true live reps without taxing pitching staffs, things like that. Um, so that's been really helpful for sure. Um, something else is we'll try to work in like a scouting report coach pitch. So it's we'll create a scouting report for if it's me throwing BP or one of our assistants and forcing our guys to read the scouting report and try to execute whatever's in there. Oh, so, please explain. So, this is good. Yeah, sure. So it, it, could be, um, it could be a righty that, we'll say struggles with command, likes to pitch backwards. So you'll see some off-speed stuff early in counts. We'll try to expand late with a fastball. And the guys kind of have that. And not that it'll stay 100% to that, but that'll be the approach that guys will work through. And it could be a running game note where this guy's really quick to the plate, good pickoff move, Mm -hmm. or this guy doesn't do a good job of controlling the game, or this guy likes to spike breaking balls late in counts. So be really aware for dirt ball stuff. So what I like about it is like when we get to game day is especially if we have um, played an opponent a good amount, like we'll have a pretty good report on them. And I just want them to work through that, especially the new guys, because sometimes guys will see that and it's they almost forget like they're so consumed with themselves. They forget that you're going to get resistance from the opposition. Mm -hmm. And I want them to kind of work through on executing a game plan based off some information we have on the opposition. Um, So that's something we'll get um, like this time of year is when we'll try to get into some of that stuff to get them prepped for doing that. Like pregame, we'll talk, yep. the notes will be up, and then they'll have to execute some things. Wow. God, it's um, what else you got? And bullpen stuff. So sometimes I view a bullpen, the same concept of, um, I say, generic BP. We're just that feel-good BP where guys are just getting into balls. Sure. And it's just everything. And I think bullpen sometimes can fall in that same trap yep. where they just want to feel good. 
So they're like six or seven seconds between pitches. They're filling it up. All their pitches are working and they're getting zero resistance. Mm. So the same way we challenge some guys in a BP setting, um, just doing the same thing with pitchers. So it just giving them some resistance, force the timing to be more game-like. So they have to wait 12 plus seconds between pitches at times and even creating like timeout situations. And if you, if you think a game set up, as soon as you get into a rhythm in a game, yeah. there's a more likelihood somebody's going to call time on you. Yeah. If you go like back to back, two strikes on two hitters in a row, that second guy's going to try to get a timeout or whatever. And it just, it's going to try to get you out of rhythm. Mm. So I think as a bullpen is getting good, there's times where we want to try to break your rhythm and still have you execute pitches. And it doesn't always have to be that, but I would say like working that in, especially as you get closer to a season can definitely benefit pitchers. And it could even be another concept is it could be in a bullpen and you're simulating runner on first base and you're going to force the pitcher to hold for two seconds, then make a pitch to the plate in one, three or less. And he's got to execute a very specific pitch. Hmm. So you could just work that. And those are some of the game rhythm things um, you need to do it in a game. And it's something that I don't know as a sport, if we practice some of those things enough of just those little rhythm and timing things to hold the set for a long time execute a pitch within a certain time to a certain part of the zone and then kind of keep doing it off of that. Um, Should have warned our listeners. This was a take feverish notes episode. You need pen and paper for this one. If you haven't figured that out by now, golly, that is phenomenal. Okay. Uh, Mark, keep going creative ways. I know you got more left in the tank, man. I, I feel, I feel good because a guy that's been winning and doing it in a different part of the region at a different level yeah. than than a higher level than us is. I mean, you're you're talking about a lot of the same things. It's 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 awesome to hear it. So I, cool. I will say this: the number one thing is this that I agree with 100 percent is the energy. The you know the 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 the, the guys standing the whole game and just the the endless just. Doesn't make a sense chatter and noise coming out of the dugout. Sure. Iowa Western can be winning by 10 or losing by 10, and you can't tell the difference. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we're not in the game, that we don't care, that we're not picking up our our teammates, that we're not trying to do stuff. But I, I just I, I can't say enough about how I think that that's really helped us as a team, is uh, kids paying attention to the game and not paying attention to the next one liner that they're going to throw out there. Like Mark, not a scoreboard to, for that. Mark, not to cut you off. Um, I just, I meant to add this into that. Um, I've had coaches after we play them. Um, and I'm not saying this is a great thing. They've asked me if our players are allowed to talk during the game. <laughs> so, <laughs> is that a team I'm not rule? That's a, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's a great thing, but um, yes, our guys are allowed to talk during the game, but um, you just wanted to clear that up one, for anybody listening. Yeah, I did. I just yeah. Wanted, yeah, they are. So just if anyone thinks we're not allowed to talk during the game, our guys can definitely – they have a word limit, but they can use their words appropriately. <laughs> well, we, as long as we just stay to each other, I you know, I, I don't care. But anything else that's going out there, I just – I don't have any time for. Now, when you talk for the – when you talk about the practice stuff, and so when I've gone out and talked before, and, and again, coaches will critique this and, and mm. want to – to, to defend why they don't do something. So like our RBPs, a ton of what we do is accountability and it's, it's on a sheet. Well, we don't have manage. I don't, I don't have one manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and all my coaches that I do have will be used in practice. So the organization that we may have is including when a guy gets done hitting, um, and goes out, uh, outside the cage, uh, whether it's pregame BP, whether it is a, 
Um, and again, we do a lot of in practice. We very seldom just take BP to take BP. Mm-hmm. You're not utilizing the other side of the baseball, whether it's base, uh, not base runners, but um, defense and, and a pitcher behind the coach throwing uh, behind the L screen. When the ball hits the L screen, there's somewhere for him to go with the mm-hmm. baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, those types of things. You know, we, we do that in everything we do. But the charting, you know, uh, to hold them accountable, not just to say, you know, you do it for years and a hit and run round, you know, first round out and all of a sudden three out of the four balls they get are fly balls. Yeah. But, you know, a uh, hit and run, you know, we, we, we chart that stuff. So there's a guy outside the cage. And when this guy gets thrown, gets done hit and run and say he was one for four. And I'm like one for four, that guy writes it down. The guy just got done hitting goes out. And when the next guy hits and when he gets done, we chart that one and we put it up. We put it up uh, in the in the dugout, and Love guy wants that. to know why he's struggling. Guy wants to know, you know, others want to know why this guy's playing or or why he's having success because he's accountable in practice and he continues to do it. Same thing in our bullpens. Love what he was talking about with the bullpens. Mm-hmm. We chart picks. Uh, we measure out um, the distance um, uh, with the mound to first base, mound to second base, and we do different looks and we chart times. Uh, from when we first move to when we throw and they challenge each other and uh, pitchers got partners uh, they throw bullpens together uh, two guys throw at one time uh, a lot of a lot of the same reason because of him we have two guys throw off the same mound at the same time because once one guy picks maybe he has to go run two sprints like he had to go back up third base or oh, wow. he had to cover so he got his breath going mm-hmm. Uh, and now he has to control his breathing again, control his heart rate while the other guy gets up and has to execute. Uh, we have pitch offs where they're kind of dual days where they go after each other. Uh, everything's charted. Strike percentage is, is charted throughout bullpens, throughout throwing live in games. We know strike percentages. We know strike percentages in bullpens. We know strike percentages in, in, uh, in real games. And mm-hmm. so, and we just, and again, that's putting it down on paper, having clipboards, have a pen. They, they can chart each other. Uh, you might be there helping them. They can chart it. And that's just, those are just simple things that we do that makes them competitive instead of just going through the motions with the boredom and frustration and stuff. Like you, you're, you're keeping it. And the, and the kids thrive off that. Kids don't understand that they, they succeed in structure until they're in structure. That's a great they, point. They just, they don't understand. They don't, yeah. they don't get it. You know, and they, and you know, okay, all these kids in high school lifted and all these kids come, you know, and, and had good coaches or whatnot. And they really tried real hard and worked real hard in high school. And then all of a sudden they get to places like minor coaches and, you know, it's, it's an eye opener and it's, and it doesn't mean we're any better at all. It's just, you know, nowadays, 17 years later, I've got three coaches to help me back when I started all this. And even when I won my first national championship, I mean, I had uh, one full-time assistant, one, one paid assistant. Yeah. And, and you know, so even though you're evolving and continue to move on, you still have those standards, you know, and it's not just your culture on the field or off the field, but the standards of, of, of what you do, not just how you do it. I mean, th- those go hand in hand. And so, um, you know, talking with the BP stuff, we do even like what we call carnival BP, where there, there's a pitching machine on the mound. You got one guy throwing BP just off, just offset, so he's not getting smoked by the machine behind him. And then you got a guy that's maybe 
a little flip toss with a little net uh, down the first baseline. So it's a little angle BP, mm. regular BP, and then they get two breaking balls at the end. So they might get six balls, but they're coming in different angles, different speeds, and you got to compete. And that's getting that's getting charted. And we call that carnival BP on certain days when what, with whatever you're working on. And so, I mean, I, I think if you can think of it and it makes sense to you, do it. And yeah. this is the other thing. Coaches have a hard time with this. A lot of the coaches that come to my practices and they love all these ideas, just like what he, what, what coach has and what I have, and they love these ideas and then they go home, but they're, they're so worried about making sure it works perfectly before they really, really implement it. Cause they, they just don't, number one, they don't want to look like an idiot. I get it, you know, but you just, you got to do it. You got to figure it out. You know, guys try to do our drills and then all of a sudden they come back and they see us and they're like, yeah, we don't do it, man. We do it, but we don't do it like that. Well, I mean, it's, there's a human nature factor in everything. Yeah. You know, how your kids act in the dugout, uh, how your kids, you know, is there, is there a B their a B or is it the team a B? You know, I mean, they got to understand the difference. Sometimes your AB is not yours. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's really the teams and they got to understand that stuff. And you just got to put them in those positions in practice um, and that structure and they start to thrive in it and they continue to grow. You can see it in his program. And I think that's what's happened in our program. Gosh, OK, I want to go into the indoor side of things. And I know for both of you, I'm going to ask you a recruiting question later. Let's just pretend that, uh, you know, for the sake of outside of these questions, that it's 95 and sunny and gorgeous all the time in Iowa and all the time in Pennsylvania. But we know that's not true. You guys battle some snow. You battle some elements. Mark probably battles wind more than anybody. Um, but when you go indoors and, and you're – let's just start here with two-part question. What are your facilities like, Mark? What do you have there at Iowa Western from an indoor perspective? And then when you do have to go inside, I know you're going to mention boredom and frustration – yeah. What's your major focus when you got to go inside? What are you really trying to get done in there? Uh, you just you got to be organized, and if it's going to make sense, um, the two. Th I mean, we don't. We have a we have a old utility gym. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, there's there's plywood on the walls. You can see we've kind of had some good arms because the plywood's freaking been banged up and <laughs> sure. and paint's been knocked off. We have two cages back in this little room that there i mean you got to understand how to work your way through there or yep. else you're going to get hit i mean uh um and on the gym floor we really utilize it for pitching more than in there's this huge curtain huge blue curtain that we pull uh clothes that that puts the cages on one side then you have this the the little old gym floor and it's a it's a multi-purpose floor that's all torn up I mean, if, if we if we did hit ground balls in there, it would be the ultimate bad hop drill um, type thing. Hey, think but outside we, the box. <laughs> but 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 we can but we can long toss into that curtain once they get loose in there mm -hmm. and throwing. Uh, the one thing that's great about that gym is that we don't have to worry about you know like ultimately like breaking something. Everything's been broken there, so um, <laughs> we we can we can get our throwing in. We can throw into the curtain. I always tell people really the two things that we can really do when we get outside, when we first get outside, is we tend to really be able to pitch and we'll really be able to hit, which yeah. tend to be real crucial things. <laughs> and and um, uh, nowadays, starting in 2010, I actually started. Uh, driving our team, uh, we'd get on a charter bus at, at 12.30 in the afternoon after classes, and they get something to eat. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we drive over to a facility just across the river into Omaha that we pay to use uh, like 10 times so we can get ground balls for like two hours. 
wow. uh, and get the pitchers involved over there. And I started doing that a few years ago. Um, but when I won the first national championship, all, all we really, all we had was this old gym. And I, I'm, I'm real proud of that. I, yeah. I'm actually proud of that to where you can go over holding runners. You can go over getting good jumps. You know, uh, you can do base running in there with just leads mm-hmm. and getting jumps off the pitcher and pitchers can change their looks and work on their picks. Uh, pitchers can get their long toss in there. Like I said, with a huge curtain, uh, uh, position players arms are healthy. We use tennis balls. Uh, we do you hit baseballs on it. We use tennis balls on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just in the cages with the, with two cages, two mounds, um, pitching machines. And again, when I first got here, I didn't have the pitching machines either. Um, and then just changing it up every day. So it's just, again, you can think of it, you, you can do it. Uh, we, we go over sign, you know, knowing the signs, doing different situations every day in the cages um just a lot of that stuff like that that's really good jad when you're looking at indoor practice planning what do you have there on campus at westchester and then when you do have to go in what's maybe the major focus you're trying to get done in that time sure um on campus so we have space wise uh we have gyms where it's basically four hardwood gyms connected with that really awkward uh concrete pole right in the middle of all of them Mm -hmm. um so we can accomplish a lot but it's the space is definitely kind of broken up. Yeah. Uh, but but the good thing is we have curtains, so we could navigate basically just creating four separate spaces or two separate spaces, or we could have it wide open, um, which is helpful. Yeah. And the other big resource for us, um, All Star Baseball Academy, which is a local travel program that has an indoor facility. Um, it's about a ten minute drive from our campus, and if it was on our campus, it literally would be one of the best indoor facilities in this region where it's a full turf infield. Wow. Uh, there's six batting tunnels, so three long tunnels, three short tunnels. Um, so we get a ton of stuff done there. We have access. It's three days a week over there. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we'll go over there. But that, I mean, that piece for us is, is huge, um, especially in a year like this where the weather hasn't been great. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're able to get a good amount of stuff. Between the two, we're able to do a good amount of stuff. Um, and I think the indoor piece um, I think from a positive standpoint is I think there's definitely a, a heightened sense of awareness when we go indoors. Mm-hmm. So it's just from a safety standpoint. And even if guy, if a guy makes an errant throw in a gym, it's like clanking off a wall, goes over, hits a Gatorade cooler. It's like a really loud yeah. event. And it like almost feels like, even for me coaching standpoint, like it feels like you're inside of a pinball machine sometimes. So like you need to be on high alert. Um, and I feel like everybody's just really paying attention when we get inside. And the other thing, too, is just the tighter space, um, especially cage swings. We get a ton of reps, so we don't have to chase balls in the outfield. Balls aren't going all over the place. Um, If we're in a tight space, whether it's defense or offense, I feel like we get a good amount of reps in a pretty short window. Um, And I think just talking with the team, initially when we start up practice, there's always that good energy. Like If you're practicing indoors, guys are just excited to be back and getting going. I think where it gets tricky is if it's three three, four straight weeks of nothing but indoors, that's when you have to challenge your team to hold them accountable that the environment the environment shouldn't dictate our focus and our effort for the day. That's a- and I think there's definitely days where guys have to be reminded of that. And I also think it's okay from a coaching standpoint mm-hmm. is just sometimes acknowledge like, I know this isn't ideal. Like I know this isn't the, the perfect situation for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and just point blank, let them know that I'm not pretending like this is the perfect circumstance but we got to find a way to have a productive practice today. Yeah. And I think a good time too, where it gets tricky is you might be inside for a couple of weeks. You get that nice few days of, of weather and you get outside 
but then your back indoor is extended after that. Yeah. I think that's where it can get challenging. Yeah. It's almost like they see like, well, this is nice. We got a good practice today outside, but then we're back in that gym space. Um, and I think those are the days that just challenge your guys and maybe even make that the day where you go off script a little bit and give them some different stuff. So it's not, not the same format you've been doing indoors. You give them some new drills, give them some new ideas. So it's something a little bit different. And I get there's a lot of listeners that maybe below the Mason-Dixon line don't truly have to wrap their minds around being extended periods of time. I've coached in those environments just like you guys have. And when you talk about weeks upon weeks where you are, there is no shot you're heading outside, Jad, open up how you've gotten creative with scheduling. You said you get the chance to vary and go back and forth with the two different facilities. But sure. I know it's not always, hey, as a team, we're here at 3 o'clock. Sometimes it's, hey, pitchers, you guys are going to go do this. Position players, you come at this time just to get creative, just to mix it up. What are some things that you do that are unique? Sure. Um, so that is definitely this time of year we'll do a good amount of classroom stuff. So we'll do some teaching stuff in a classroom setting. We sit down, and it um, it could be showing some clips of baseball stuff. It could be showing clips of other sports to – to basically hammer home a point of what you're looking to do. Okay. Um, and sometimes that'll piggy, that'll take us right into a practice for maybe a theme for the day or a focal point for the day. And as Mark mentioned too, I think some of those game rhythm stuff, we're going over signs. Like I think indoors is a good time for that also. Mm-hmm. So like once when you get outside, you'll still work the sign stuff, um, but it just, you can do some other things outside because you've worked on some of that stuff indoors. Okay. Um, and even if it's a, so we might have a day that we deem like, it's not a great day outside and it's probably not the day to go outside for two and a half, three hours. Mm -hmm. But if we have like that day in the thirties with a little bit of wind and it could be the perfect day to go outside even for an hour and just work a couple things. So it's, we, we, we're working some relay stuff, having the outfielders get synced up with the infielders and catchers and, or just pop up communication stuff just for, you know, just for that one hour, we're able to get something accomplished outside and obviously the the balls in the air, like when we're indoors, it's tough. We do some creative stuff with that, but it's just tough to get that. Yeah. We have to track a ball in the air for six plus seconds. It's tough to create some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so we try to take advantage of that when we do get outside. And obviously when we get outside on those days, we're trying to keep them in motion. So it's trying to be really efficient and get their blood flow basically going for the whole time. So there's not a lot of standing around when we get outside. Oh my goodness. Mark, same thing, man. You've got the run of that facility, but how do you, how do you manage that? Well, last Sunday we were outside, uh, not this, not this just last Sunday, but a Sunday ago we were outside and played nine innings. We have a turf infield grass outfield Mm -hmm. and we had guys out in short sleeves and no fleeces on no hoodies and played. Uh, I think we inter squatted nine innings. Um, and then, uh, this Sunday we had, uh, I think it was about six degrees here and had a couple <laughs> inches of snow. Um, and you know, jazz, he's exactly right where that, that, that mentality, you like, you just gotta be, my players call me truth and reality, but you just, you gotta be honest with them. You know, yeah. uh, one of our sayings here is this sucks. I'll do it. You know, majority mm. of life people just say this sucks and then they just keep, you know, complaining about it. We say, okay, this sucks. I'll do it. There, that that's what separates people. Wow. And um, uh, you know, when we're when we're doing the the indoor practices, and and again, he, they're busy little bee. If you went in there, it just looks like a Chinese fire drill, and and everything going on. But it's all pitchers know what they're doing with all their arm care, with all the drills they're doing, whatever they're doing on that day on the gym floor. You pull the curtain closed behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have infielders in. 
And so we have all of our pitchers broke up on different days of a rotation um, throughout a week. So you got your long toss day, your off day, your whatever, you know, bullpen day, live day, stuff like that. So we got a certain amount of pitchers, two or three on each day throughout a week. Hmm. So like today, the infielders come in um, and they, they, they're going to hit first. Well, they're going to hit, you know, they're going to face pitching today uh they get to face the bolt the guys that are on their bullpen days will be in one uh will be in one uh cage um and then the live guys uh and our guys are up to almost like four innings right now so you got two guys going against each other going against infielders to get see live arms and so i mean you're getting catching in you're getting your signs in they go from wind up they go from stretch uh obviously the big thing that we've incorporated this year is rap soto hitting mm -hmm. so I mean, the, the, the scene, if it's a base hit or not, and the competition of it and, and double in the gap and stuff like so. It gets pretty competitive, which is awesome. It, yep. I mean, at, at times on a Thursday evening when we're in there after softball's been in there and guys are competing, like you can still give me chills. Like that's, <laughs> you know, kids competing, and that's what you want, and pitchers against hitters and things. And so um, that's, the, the, you know, if, again, you, you got to sit down. This is ours is so orchestrated now and and structured to the point of how it runs and who's in there at a certain time you know when the infielders get done uh by that time all the other pitchers have pretty well gotten most of their work done on the gym floor they're moving on the infielders can get out they can get their arm work done um we can do pick tags we can we, we can we'll walk through i call it lab work where we're just using the basketball court i don't have to yell we're just walking through stuff do we know the defensive signs where we need to be i always kind of refer it to like friday night uh in the hotel lobby the the football players walk through type yeah. stuff i mean yeah. that that's what we'll do and then we implement it more when we go over to the facility over in omaha on tuesdays and thursdays now we can kind of roll it through it faster hmm. i mean just wasted you know don't waste your time don't complain about the space use the space um go getting outside and we're we're pretty well known for this as well we'll do it a ton of times throughout um fall and, and spring and everybody that comes to see us whether it's four-year scouts or or I mean, four-year recruiters or MLB scouts, whoever, we, we use dibble balls, the yellow dibble balls that mm -hmm. like you put in machines and stuff. We use, uh, we got like 30 dozen of those. We use those virtually every day because of the turf. We can be outside so much, but it doesn't mean the turf isn't soaked. It doesn't mean the outfield isn't soaked and you'll ruin every baseball you have. Or yeah. if we go out in the parking lot, I mean, parking lots, I think really more are made for baseball in the midwest than they are for cars yeah. uh I, I and and being able to get out and you, you know long toss out so just to be able to get outside and long toss you know if it's 33 degrees or higher we're going to be out for 30 minutes especially infielders with me and and again keep them busy yeah like coach said like don't be standing around i mean we're 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 structured ahead of time you take this bucket you take this bucket you take this bucket we jog out we put on the cleats and we get going. We might even we loosen up the arms inside, you know, that type of stuff. And 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 again, you don't have to be out there for two hours and be miserable. You can have fun with it. You can you can attack that moment instead of bitch about the moment. And and that's th those are big things for me when it comes to talking about um, leading a group and being honest with them, but yet keep them organize and keep changing it up you know one day 
like I said, infielders come in first, they're face live. Uh, we might be bunting. Uh, we'll take them through situations. When I start giving signs to them, it's when they're getting in the batter's box. And if they don't get the sign right, then they don't get their AB in the mm -hmm. cage. Mm -hmm. Well, that creates a little bit more anxiety. And sometimes I come to find they question themselves a little bit more when it's, you know, learning the signs than being in a classroom. And I say, you know, because we do it in a classroom as well, but you missed it. I mean, I give them tests. I give them a, tw I, I periodically give them 20 questions of, hey, if I do this, this, and this, what's it mean? Whatever. And they'll, they'll, be, oh, I was, you know, 17 out of 20 or whatever. Well, if you're 17 out of 20, in the indoor, you just missed three at bats. Yeah, complete at bats. Yeah. So I, I I throw that in there as well. So um, you know, the the turf infield has done a lot for us. But in all reality, right now with what we got outside, Jeremy, I mean, we're, that that, <laughs> <laughs> that turf doesn't matter right matter. now. It's no, no, yeah. And they're the, and looking at the forecast ahead of time, I, I don't see if we're going to have it anytime soon. Right. And you're just react. You're you're just you're just you you talk about it every day you teach every day and the the culture uh, that that uh we've created i think that's just part of it where we can always agree on something mm -hmm. whether like man we're inside again and the driver this but it's my responsibility i'm leading it and to keep challenging them to keep be getting better at something today we're giving them a complete day off we practiced yesterday morning um nine till noon we practiced saturday nine to noon got weights in you know, over the weekend, we hit. I mean, we had pitchers going. We had some good things going. They just need to get away from it today and, you know, get back in the, you know, be in the classroom. And then the afternoon, they got to themselves. And that's part of it, too, is knowing when to hit the accelerator and knowing when just to leave them alone. That's it. See, even in junior college, you guys give days off, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is like the eighth. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Yep. All Let's right. just go with that. Yes, I do. <laughs> Christmas, Christmas and Thanksgiving. Exactly. Hey, those days off, you take them completely off. Okay, Mark, I'm going to come back to you because uh, you were kind of hitting on this, and, and I want to make sure that we explore, especially what Jad has to offer as well, competitiveness inside. It might be one of the hardest things to find. So what are some creative ways that you're either on an individual level or a team level, you're bringing competitiveness, but what also may be just some creative ways that you found to maximize that time inside? Again, uh, chart, you know, charting stuff, um, um, technology anything. helps. Well, yeah, I mean, technology yeah. helps. It's something I, when I talk like this, I, I don't want to talk. I mean, I don't want to talk about it a lot because not everybody has it, but <laughs> sure. obviously sure. junior college, I call glorified high school and most high schools have a better budget than I have. So, <laughs> uh, there, there's, there's high schools that got more stuff than I have, mm -hmm. but we just got the rap soto right before Christmas wow. getting ready for this because I knew I needed to take us to the next level of competition. Um, and, and it, it just has done outstanding things for us. And yeah, the, the guys are figuring out their swings throughout the process of it all. But for me, the competition yeah, and, yep. and the pitcher versus the hitter, um, four hitters versus four hitters in there charting it, everything goes on paper. They mm. see it, you know, where guys are at, the signs before you go in the cage, like that's competitiveness. Like, yeah. know that you want to hit, know the signs. Are you going? You know, you are you going four on four like many teams? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. Yes. Yep. Yep. So you got four guys up and and uh, four guys at a time and and whatever you know. So now mm. you got hit. So you got a pitcher with those four guys, and you got these four guys with this pitcher. So yeah. it's kind of five on five when you look at the two pitchers as well. So right. that's you know just anything. 
like that that you can do. Um, and if they want to stay in there, they got to go middle away, which means hit the ball the length of the cage to the opposite field. Um, and if they don't do it, then they're out of the cage, you know, and some guys walk out in a day, uh, especially some of the younger guys, the freshmen and like, man, I didn't get a lot of swings today. Well, you were horrible. Yeah. You know, like you got to compete better. And I, I don't mean that as just a, that's not an out just to say compete better. Like they know what to do. We've taught for 15 weeks in the fall and throughout the winter. Like we're to the point now to where you don't, you don't necessarily know everything, but you know enough mm-hmm. that you can compete. And, um, like coach was saying, situational at bats, like knowing your, 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 your approach, a uh, big word for us is the, the river approach, you know, uh, how, how we approach things, how we, what are we looking for in our AB? Where, what are we doing? What pitch are we looking for? Uh, so we do that type of stuff. And, and again, like yesterday we had two pitching machines up, which when I first got here, I told you, I didn't have anything. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden you win a few games and they give you some stuff. So, um, <laughs> I got two pitch machines and we got them both set up at the same time in the same cage. One's a breaking ball. One's a fastball. I got a coach back there and he puts both hands in, but only one ball is going to come out and you got to figure it out. You got to be, you know, and and how you're looking. And we got some guys who were just struggling with it Mm -hmm. and struggling bad. And they started to show their frustration. And that's part of what you need to do as a coach uh, in those days. But then now you have to quickly help them work through that yeah. not just give into it yeah. and and that uh, i mean welcome to baseball welcome <laughs> to a weekend uh on the road and you're getting pitched well and you're not doing anything about it well you need to change yeah. stuff about it you know um so the, anything like that is 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 really big for us is compete every day like um i was talking about the first group will come in and face hitters and stuff the second group, when they come in, they're going through certain drills that day, and they will hit for 45 to an hour, um, and we'll break up the, the two long cages into to four cages, and they just got rotate each one. I, I mean, I'm sort of a drill. I'm, I'm a drill guy, um, and I'm sure I can get bashed on Twitter nowadays with that type of stuff, but um, uh, I, I am because I at this level, I got guys who need to figure themselves out, and those th- three out of those four drills or three, you know, those eight drills when we go rotate through twice and we change up the drills and maybe none of those help a guy that day. Um, and maybe they don't help five guys, but then there's two guys that it's sort of something in there clicked with them. And between the challenge, between it helping them figure themselves out, those types of things. I mean, that's that's what I believe in. We do heavy bats, light bats, short bats, long bats. Um, I mean, you, we use tees, we side toss, we use machines. Um, we got some crazy stuff going on that I probably can't explain over a podcast. You have to see it. I mean, I mean, that's what you yes, do I mean, to me. That's what you do. I mean, all I got is time, you know? And so within that, again, we're, we're going to, we're going to get them to figure themselves out. So when we go outside that ball, that's getting thrown at us doesn't look like an aspirin. It looks like a volleyball. No um, they're figuring out their timing. They're figuring out themselves in the, in the, in the box, in the batter's box. And they're figuring out how they're linking our chain to help us win games. And when they can, when they figure out how they're linking our chain and they help us win games, they, they tend to figure out that they're in the lineup a little bit more. That's it. And this is a lot more fun. That's it. 100%. If that doesn't make them, if that doesn't make them competitive, I don't know what does. They can't play for you. 
Yeah. Gosh, that's outstanding. Jad, you want to follow that one up? Just creative ways that you're bringing competition or just creative ways in general, whether it's team or individuals, how are you really attacking that indoor practice from that perspective? Sure. Uh, one of the things, um, positional players, sometimes they'll throw BP to each other and yep. it'll be a competition, like a three, two count where the positional guy gets to showcase. It can be a, a total mix. So that positional guy can mix anything and they're trying to basically work through a three, two count. So if it's a ball and they take, the hitter wins. If it's a swing and miss, the pitcher wins. Soft contact pitcher wins. A barrel ball, the hitter wins. Um, but that's something that yeah. I just – sometimes I'm with the pitchers and I can just hear that going on, and I know they get pretty amped up for that then. Sure. Um, and then sometimes we'll work pitchers in – basically they'll throw a, a fairly aggressive flat ground, and it could be totally synced up where the hitters and pitchers are going against each other, basically like a straight competition. Mm -hmm. Or it may be just the pitcher is going to work as like a steady pitcher and there'll be two different hitting groups working off each other. So it could be like a one-two count. You're behind in the count and you got to try to find a way to get back into a situation. Um, or maybe we'll give them a, a very specific situation, runner on third base, middle infield back. So ground ball up the middle should do the job or anything elevated to the outfield will also do the job. Um, and we'll just cycle through some of those things. And I think the more of those specific like game situations yeah, we situation. can give our guys in a yep. yeah, and like really diving in of giving them visuals of what we're looking to do. Um, and I think this, I mean, it's a, a game thought of just a, a quality at bat. And I know everybody has, not everybody, but most teams have some form of a quality at bat tracking to see productive at bats. And usually the math works out. If you do X amount percentage wise, usually it leads to a pretty good offensive day. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's times where I even want to get outside of that and just give a very specific, like in this moment, um, say we're down three runs in the ninth inning, there's a runner on second with nobody out. Yep. Your ground ball to the right side doesn't really help us anymore if you're retired. So mm -hmm. if you get in a 2-1 count, it might show up like advanced runner, but like the game situation, we need more from you in that spot. Exactly. Yep. So trying to give them some more visuals and thoughts of, it isn't always just, okay, guys here, I just got to do this. Like, no, like you're in a 2-0 count. We need you on base. So whether that's you drawing a walk here or you just barreling a ball for a base hit, like those are the outcomes we need where just 90 feet in this spot isn't good enough. No doubt. Um, in regards to just advancing a base runner. Wow. In um, some other um, – one of the other things, and this is something that we haven't done, but it's coming soon, and in our um, – in our tunnel in the gyms is I want to start working defensive reads off of cage swings. So how it's going to be set up is we'll position defensive guys in the gyms where they have a, a pretty good visual um, as close we can make like angle wise of a game setup. And basically I want them to read the swing and then react accordingly. And we'll either fungo or throw a ball where it's going to use the imagination of the guy doing the fungoing or the yep. guy throwing the ball yep. and the defender, but just so they're working on initial step, off of contact, off a of barrel. And that's something that we will get to soon. And um, I think it's just another way to kind of engage guys and just work on that that game rhythm stuff instead of just everything is so predictable and we just line up and just bang out fungos. Um, so that's something we'll work soon as well. And another one that was um, we kind of advanced from, so the duct tape ground ball, and this is something that – um, I think Tucker, I, I heard him talk about it at the ABCA in Indy, and I know other people have talked about it. We take beat up BP balls and balls that get cut up, and it's um, good stuff for like bad hop drills. Yeah. And you can just put some duct tape around it, and you can work those things in the gym. 
And in our region, it's we call them bad hops, but those are just the hops we get. Yeah. Like we're playing on fields that are like <laughs> they're they're beat up. I mean, those are just hops, is what they are. <laughs> we're just the fields are choppy yeah. and. Early in the year, they're like soft bad hops. Mm-hmm. Later in the year, usually it's lips and balls shooting all over the place. Yeah. Um, so I do think we did the duct tape stuff. The one tricky thing with that, sometimes those balls are weighted weird and even throwing, I'm a little concerned guys like catching a finger in them. So we, we rarely will throw those. Sometimes we'll do underhand flip after we field it. Mm-hmm. Um, but something we've done recently was just call it a landmine ground ball where literally I just went into a storage closet just took out a bunch of random cones, extension cords, and just put it essentially where the grass portion of the infield would be and just work fungo stuff. And you would obviously create some really weird and tricky hops coming off some of that stuff. Hmm. And I liked it because it forced guys to get a bad hop, but we're using regular baseballs. So it forces them to make a throw after the bad hop. And I think sometimes the early season error stuff, a lot of times it's throwing error stuff. And a lot of times it's they get off rhythm. So they feel the ball on their heels because they get like a late up hop Mm -hmm. and they have to kind of redirect themselves real quick. And I don't think we practice it enough. And it's something we're trying to do a little bit more of this year. Mm -hmm. Um, Even like extension cord stuff honestly works great. You just lay it straight down and you get a little piece of it. And the other thing too, and it's also kind of game like sometimes it doesn't hit any of the stuff in front and it just shoots through and you get regular hops, but it really forces their attention to be elevated because they know there's that possibility of getting a bad hop. So you just see guys dialed in, and they even take those regular hop balls with a little more focus, I feel like. Holy smokes. You guys are killing it. Um, all right, let's move away from the practice planning end, and I want to make sure we end on these last two notes, and one gives you guys an opportunity. Because there are, again, college coaches listen to this, professional coaches will certainly come come scout our guys or, or let's get you on the schedule. But there's also youth coaches, there's high school coaches, travel coaches paying attention to this. And so, Jad, start us off on this. We've talked about the two national championships, but there's something else building there on that campus, man, in terms of support, in terms of vision for where that university is going. Can you just talk about Westchester, your recruiting pitch for prospective players, coaches? Hey, pay attention to what we're doing. Sure. Um, I, I think we're very fortunate. I mean, we're, we have the success here because this is a really good place to go to school. Mm-hmm. And it's not just baseball. It's um, I think everyday students really enjoy being here and that the enrollment numbers keep climbing. And if there was more space, I think it would continue to climb, mm-hmm. but it's, we're pushing, I think almost 16,000 undergrads soon. And the wow. applicant pool continues to grow. And a lot of that is good education. Location's good. We're 30 miles west of Philadelphia, mm-hmm. but the town itself, it's a great college complement. So there's plenty of places to eat, hang out, shop all within walking distance of our campus. Wow. Um, so we don't facility wise, it's good enough. And from a scholarship standpoint, we don't have a ton of money. Um, we'll never we'll never be good because we just buy players. It's more we're able to identify talent um, that can afford the in-state number or the out-of-state number, and we can get them a little bit of money to offset it. Mm-hmm. But essentially, is a lot of people want to come to school here, and when they get here, they really like being here. So that transition, it's just not that it's always seamless, but generally speaking, guys get settled in here really quickly Um, just because it's a great place to go to school. And when I mentioned athletic success here, I think in the initial Learfield standings, Westchester was fourth in the country for all of the Division II school programs. So we had a great fall. We had two teams go on to the Final Four. Um, Our football team was undefeated in the regular season. So there was a ton of success here Mm. um, in the fall, and it's the spring sports are hopefully up next to continue that. Um, And even our basketball teams have been doing well as well. Um, And from a baseball standpoint, it's – 
Um, I think it says a lot of the talent pool of where we are. So it's a populated area, but it's also some really talented kids in our area. Mm-hmm. And we're fortunate just there's literally millions of people of us within a relatively short drive, like within an hour drive, we can get to a lot of people. Um, and that definitely helps us. And the other, the state of Pennsylvania, it's, we have the most NCAA programs, the state. So I think there's 84 division one, division two, or division three programs in our state. And most of those rosters are filled with Pennsylvania players. Um, and I think that is a testament to just a talent pool in the state um, where there's a lot of good players going through our state. Um, the other, and one other recruiting, um, just a, a note or a, a concept, and this is more big picture stuff, just an observation. Um, and it goes a little bit in line with, I'd say the bashing of ideas and some of the stuff that shows up on Twitter, mm-hmm. where sometimes in the recruiting standpoint, um, just when people put out there ragging on a 15, a 16 or 17 year old kid, and usually a name isn't attached to it, but it's just the idea that as coaches, because some kid didn't do something perfect at that age, that we're going to knock on him and cross him off, which is fine. You have the right to do that. Yeah. But I think it's important that we don't look for reasons to get rid of kids from our list at times. Mm. And it gets to a breaking point where, like, if a kid isn't the right fit for your program, I get it. But I think back, I felt like I was, as a kid, I was a, a decent kid from a behavior standpoint. But there were definitely things that I probably did at 15, 16, 17 that if somebody saw me do it, that um, they might cross me off the list, yeah. which is they have the right to do it. Yeah. But I just, if a kid doesn't do one perfect thing, all the time, I just to bash on the kid. And there's times where it's in recruiting process. If I see something pop up and we're interested, I'll just have a conversation with the kid and talk to him about that specific thing. Instead of just going to Twitter and rag on the kid, it's I'll just talk to him about something that popped up on the field. And I I just feel like part of our job is to help the kid that's like 80% good, 20% needs help. I feel like we need to help at that 20% to get him where he wants to be kind of deal. Okay. I'm going to get Mark. I'm going to get to you, but I got to jump on this point and Jad, you bring it up and Mark, you obviously kicked off the episode with that. I think, and I agree with you 100%. I think when you see a kid and I think a lot of it comes back to the Gatorade, the mom brings a Gatorade to the dugout and it's the instant. That's a perfect tweet. Or it's the coach, uh, the travel coach and he's wearing a sombrero on the field. Okay. Or it's the, uh, high school coach doesn't have rosters and it's a better tweet than it is we consider the opportunity, like you mentioned, to just go grab the kid or talk to the mom or talk to the travel coach after the game or you know follow up with that high school coach and just say, hey, man, just from where I sit, it's it's better if you have rosters. Hey, just from my place up here, man, my opinion may not mean much to you, but don't rock the sombrero in the middle of the game. It's not the best sure. look for your program. Or, hey, kid, just giving you a heads up, man. There's coaches, may not be me. I don't know who it might be that may look at you a little bit differently because mom's bringing the Gatorade to you, plan accordingly. It's better and to address the situation than just tweet no about qu- it. That's 100% right. And it's sometimes that message might be received through that form, through like a satire almost. Yeah. But I still, I'm with you where it's just, if you, if it's that important to you, go talk to somebody. No doubt. And no. even the Gatorade piece, like who know, like what, you know, cross a kid off that for all, you know, like he has diabetes. No and doubt. He needs every, you know what no I mean? doubt. So just like things like that. And it's, I know sometimes it's not the best look. And even for, honestly, even for our guys, we're in a double header in Florida. Like there's been times where it's 88 degrees. We haven't felt that warmth in literally six months. Yeah. And I'm okay with one of our guys. If he needs a Gatorade between games and mom gives it to him, like sometimes those guys are still our best players and our hard, hardest workers. <laughs> so like I try not to get too caught up 
and I know there's that line. There's always that line of coddling and all this stuff. But I think we just need to pump the brakes a little bit of just finding reasons to bash everything that isn't perfect in our eyes. Oh, boy. The world of likes and retweets. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> Mark, let me hit you with this. For players that are interested in coming to Council Bluffs or for high school or travel coaches, again, bringing your players, what's going on there? And give them your best recruiting pitch. Well, I mean, athletically in junior college, uh, Iowa Western is is near the top in 24 sports. Mm. Uh, that's what we have here, uh, nearly 6,000 students. Um, we are 10 minutes, and if you know how to get there, you can even be less than 10 minutes away from TD Ameritrade, where the uh, NCAA World Series is held in Omaha. Uh, and that's, you know, we, we've got city kids mm -hmm. and we're 15 minutes from anything you want in a metropolitan area of over a million people uh and i got my rednecks that love to hunt and fish <laughs> and we're 10 minutes go the other way and you got all that you want air not you know we have the airport right here uh in omaha uh it's i mean i've been here for 17 years i said i was going to be here for five and i've been here 17 and raising two kids my wife and i love it, it it's awesome uh and for us, and I just had this conversation last night with with a with a great uh, senior pitcher, um, and I had this conversation last night, and he understood it, and he really appreciates it that we're not outside, and some of the schools recruiting him are outside right now, and they're playing. Mm -hmm. But when you look at our development, everything we just talked about for two hours here about development and and thinking outside the box and being yeah. creative for. Uh, the person, the the student, and the athlete, like being creative, the structure of it, and and competitiveness of it. Uh, we, we're developing. Uh, we're we're taking we're taking advantage of what we have here, and and not complaining about it. And when it comes to placement out of here, that's Iowa Western. The thing is with Iowa Western, this isn't anybody's this isn't anybody's goals or dreams. Um, and there, there's got to be that reality of it. And I, I have that reality and, and they just need to see it as the best, uh, rung on the ladder and that it is the rung that's going to move them up. And I've, I've talked where our, where our program has gotten to, where our culture has gotten to with the young men that we're developing and getting them ready to move on is even when they get where they want to be on that ladder way past us and they're up above us. Do you know where their feet still are? It's so, on our rung. Yeah. And and it's it's those values. It's mm. it's what it's what we preach here with with the individual, with the student, and with the athlete. And yeah, it goes back to what you guys were talking about before with with um with the Twitter stuff and things of that nature. I you know, less is more sometimes. And I I, I don't know where this is all going. Like the Twitter thing's awesome with you, Jeremy, with what you're getting out ABCA and, and it blowing up and the mm -hmm. podcast and just the whole technology that way. But raising a 17 year old son and a 12 year old son in this that are both in sports. And Man. my wife played college basketball. So, you know, I mean, she's the head coach of the head coach here and <laughs> I, I don't win three national championships and go to 11 world series without having who I have, uh, behind me every yeah. day. Um, but we, we we just got to, there's sometimes just less is more and leave it alone. Worry about yourself. Mm -hmm. You worry about your program. I agree with what coach is saying and we have the stage to talk about it today, but one, I just don't worry about it. I don't worry about other people. 
And if they want to jump off that horse, maybe we're going to get on it and, and it's going to take us somewhere. Uh, it's just us developing it. And, you know, I know my sons drink Gatorade. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, and I know my, I, I know mama takes care of them pretty well. Mm -hmm. And I think we're raising two fine young men, um, that way. So, uh, you know, I, I don't worry about that stuff either that much. I, I worry about, uh, that person and you know, what, what they have right now and, and what we can use and what we can help develop more importantly on them. So that's, you know, for us, Again, it's being part of someone's life, helping them grow and go somewhere uh, bigger and better is what I call it. And that's that's a great thing to do. Watching guys get drafted, watching guys go Division One, getting their degrees, going on to Pro Bowl, getting jobs, whatever it may be. Marriage, kids. Uh, just had a conversation yesterday with my one of my catchers on my 2014 team uh, when we dogpiled at Grand Junction who is a coach, a teacher, has a young child, married, and he sent me such a nice direct uh, message yesterday. And those those things go a long ways nowadays. Mm, that's it. Well, hopefully your big right-hander ends up looking at Westchester. So let's hope that that uh, falls into place. That's um, right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get – I'll give you kudos right on the air. I mean – I mean, the first thing out of your mouth to me was yes. you, you introduced you introduce <laughs> yourself. You go, you got any pitching left? That's, I mean, that's it's the only reason I took the call. Exactly. So just, oh, Mark's going to be on? Sure. Hey, he's, mm -hmm. I will say, Jad sent me a message and said, who else is going to be on here with me? And, and if it didn't work out, he wasn't going to say yes. But uh, <laughs> it fell into place. All right, last question I got for both of you, because I know, man, you guys have been awesome with your time. And I know you got to get back to uh, getting prepared for the seasons. But Mark, kick us off. Last question. Advice for coaches. Just whatever else you haven't dove into that you think is important, just leave them on a positive note. Just uh, open mind. You do not, and I repeat, you do not have everything figured out. <laughs> and just because it's working for you right now doesn't mean it's going to work next week. And just mm -hmm. because it's working for one guy, doesn't mean it's going to work for these other eight and vice versa. And I mean, uh, and there's in, unless you're in professional baseball, everybody that is in college baseball here, we are preparing or high school select ball youth, but we are preparing these kids for something else. Mm -hmm. We're just getting to use baseball and sitting at my desk right now. I can, I can brag about, I got three national championship rings sitting on my desk right now, staring at them. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Great. All right. They were, they're memories. They're mm -hmm. awesome memories, but you move on. And as a coach, like you're just, you're growing people and it's, I'm, I'm not, I, I hate getting on a soapbox about it, but I've learned this. It's made me better. It's made me better as a husband, a father, a coach. And my program continues to get better. And we haven't won a national championship in five years. And I'm sitting here saying, we're getting better. Yeah, We're getting better. Our kids are getting better every year when they move on from here. And that's everybody really listening to this, other than probably a pro ball guy who, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's professionalism and the guy, kid. But for all, the rest of us, we're getting them ready for something more. <laughs> and we just got to keep that in mind. Love it. Jad, take us home, man. Advice. Where do you, what do you have left in your pockets? Empty them out for us, man. Sure. Um, this is whenever I see this note or this message, and I've seen it, you know, a few different spots along the way, it always resonates. It's like a good reminder. And uh, like Matt Nagy, head coach with the Chicago Bears, on his play call sheet is you just see the two words BU, which you can see it like clear when they're playing on TV. You mm -hmm. see that. Um, and that same message when, 
I don't know, anybody that's had a chance to hear Chris Heron, who travels the country talking about basically addiction and the stigma attached to it. Sure. And he gets into a lot of stuff, but one of his big messages is just be a pro at being yourself. Hmm. So instead of worrying about being a professional at whatever you do, like from a level standpoint, like I want to be a pro athlete. I want to be this. I want to be that is just be a professional at being yourself. And I think from a coaching standpoint, um, Leaning on the stuff that has shaped you, I think that's the stuff that's going to be most real. So instead of just, yes, you're going to steal ideas and thoughts from other people, but I feel like the best coaches in the world, um, they're just taking care of being themselves. So whether that's insert Bill Belichick, Pat Summit, Gino Ariema, mm-hmm. whoever it is, Dabo Sweeney, I don't think any of them are trying to be anybody else but themselves, and they're doing a really good job of it. Um, and I think as a young coach, it's sometimes you just want to steal ideas from what Tim Corbin does this and you can definitely learn a lot from Tim, but I feel like he's Tim Corbin cause he's worrying about being himself mm-hmm. and he probably learned from Jack Leggett. He learned from assistants he worked with, but I think the guys that are the best in the industry just keep on coming back to that of just staying true to themselves. Dynamite a show. I didn't want to come to an end, but it's also one that I say this a lot. I didn't coach if I'm up against you two. And I mean, just the way that you're going about things, how creative you've been, um, and certainly success you've had on the field, guys. This has been an awesome opportunity to walk this path with you. Big thanks to Mark Reardon from Iowa Western, Jed Prashniak from Westchester. Gentlemen, best of luck to you guys. I hope all goes well in the place for this season, and we look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks, Chief. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks so much for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and connecting with these great coaches. If you're interested in more of these shows, check us out on iTunes, hit subscribe and dive right in, or head over to abca.org slash podcast and scroll through all of our episodes. A huge thanks again to the great folks over at AstroTurf for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking at doing any upgrades at your facility, head over to AstroTurf.com. That's AstroTurf.com and see why they've been ahead of the curve for almost 50 years. Now, here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, we're here to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help. Head over to our website, abca.org, for more information. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at ABCA1945. You can find us on Facebook as well. And feel free to reach out to me directly at any time on Twitter, at CoachSheets3, or by email, Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at ABCA.org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members and continue to find ways to keep growing the game together. As always, coaches, thank you for listening in and staying dialed into our podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball. Baseball.